0: Good morning. Good morning. Happy, Lord's Day. Happy Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day. We are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We celebrate that not only this Sunday, but every Sunday. So whether you're coming here very encouraged and hopeful, or whether you're coming this Sunday very discouraged and uh, beaten down, there is hope for you because Jesus Christ not only died for sinners, but rose from the dead, defeating Satan's sin and death. And so we celebrate that this Sunday. Christians gather. All around the world to celebrate the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead my name is pj i'm one of the pastors here at bbc and one of the 117 members and uh it's glad to, i'm glad to be here with you it's a joy to spend time with you this morning if i haven't met you before i'd love to meet you um, at the back or at some point during this gathering or after the gathering or even at a guest lunch not this sunday but maybe even next week Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please take your Bible and open it to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, as we continue our series through Matthew 11 through 18. So Matthew 17, beginning in verse 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. You'll remember two weeks ago, uh, we talked about Jesus on the mountain, revealing uh, the Father revealing to Peter that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said to Peter, you're the rock and on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We talked about the keys of the kingdom two weeks ago. And then last week we spoke about um, Jesus now being rebuked and pulled aside by Peter and, um, and then saying, you're not going to die. And Jesus rebukes Peter, calls him Satan, right? And, and tells, turns to the group and says, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And then Jesus gave us reasons why we should do it. Why there's no greater choice than to choose to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus for your life. And so six days later is where we pick up here in chapter 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured in front of them. And his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I'll I'll set up three shelters here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. Jesus came up, touched them, and said, Get up, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone about the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. So the disciples asked him, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah is coming and will restore everything, he replied. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they didn't recognize him. On the contrary, they did whatever they pleased to him. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. This is the word of the Lord. May the word of Christ dwell richly among us. Father, this is our prayer, we just sang it, that you would be our vision, that we would see Christ because we know when we see Jesus, we see the Father. So show us the glory of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Oh God, be our everything, be our delight. Be our vision, be our joy. Open our eyes to see wonderful things here in the word, open the eyes of our heart Give us faith in Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would help those who have never humbly decided to submit to listening to Jesus, that today they would decide to listen to Jesus and follow him for the rest of their lives. And then we pray, Father, that for those who already listen to Jesus, that we would be refreshed and rebuked and encouraged and strengthened to continue to listen to Jesus. And we pray that as a church family We would grow significantly by this word in being a listening church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you've been waiting for this your whole life, and so have your two friends, James and John. Finally, in front of you, there's the hope of the world, the Messiah. The Messiah, the one that that our people have been waiting for for years, is finally here. He's been in front of us. We've seen him do miracles. And then he just told us, yes, I am the Messiah. What does that mean? That means no more oppression for us, no more marginalizing of the Israelites, no more corruption, no more injustice, no more belittling of God's honor and God's holiness, no more belittling of God's people. Israel, no more struggling, but flourishing in the land of milk and honey with all the provisions needed for life and happiness. We're set. Our retirement is set. The rest of our lives are set. We have the king that we have been waiting for for hundreds of years here in front of us. You're about to reign and rule as one of his first followers when everyone else doubted him because he was just a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth, right? You're one of the VIPs in his coming kingdom. This right here in front of you is the person who, right in front of you is the person who's going to bring all of this to fulfillment. He's going to finally make not only the world right, but our nation right, and our lives right, and our families right. And he's right here in front of us. And he just told us he's the one. But then he starts talking about getting arrested and suffering and that they're going to kill him, the king. He's going, to get, he's going to suffer. He's going to be mocked and murdered. And the record scratches. What? What are you talking about? Then he tells you, okay, yeah, you heard me right. I'm going to die. And not only that, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself you need to take up your cross. You need to die if you're going to follow me. Okay, I thought I was going to follow you and rule and reign with you. And that you're going to bring a, an end to all this killing and murder and suffering and oppression. And not only are you saying that you're going to be a victim of it, you're saying that I am following you and I'm going to also have to be a victim as well? I'm going to have to lose my life? Are you for real? Is this guy for real? They're looking around at each other. Is this really what the Messiah is supposed to be? Is this what the prophets talked about? And so they're rightfully confused. They're disillusioned, maybe disappointed, certainly discouraged at some level. That's Peter, James, and John. That's Peter. He just got rebuked for being called Satan, right? Have you ever been discouraged with your situation in your life? Have you ever been confused and disillusioned with life in general? Every thoughtful person in this room who's taken time to, thought, to think about it with any dose of reality would have been disillusioned and disappointed at some point in their lives. And you will be again. And if you've been a Christian, I have a question for you Christians now, because that was for everybody. Everyone's just been disillusioned. You just need to be a thinking person. But for Christians, my question to you is, have you ever been disillusioned or discouraged by the church or by the Bible? Or if we're quite honest and go to the deepest level. By God. Have you ever been disillusioned by Jesus Christ? Jesus the Messiah. The supposed Messiah. For you it could be a hard season of marriage. Or a hard relationship in general. A different relationship, A hard situation at work or at school. Financial strain. Health issues. Or even just plain old giving into sin and temptation. And just being sick of yourself. Now I'll confess this morning. I've been tempted with discouragement. And sinful complaining and given in to the temptation of complaining this weekend about my strained rotator cuff that's been causing pain in my back shoulder, pain in the arm and the back. I've taken my eyes off Jesus at times during these temptations, and not only that, I've been disillusioned a little bit. We're here having a weekender with a bunch of pastors and church leaders, and I'm in, I'm in pain the whole day. I have to go home and ice myself during, during the weekender. And I'm frustrated a little bit. And I'm not just frustrated in general, though I think that's what it is. I'm actually deeply frustrated with God. Discouraged and disillusioned by him in a sinful way, in a shameful way. How do you move on with God when you're discouraged and disillusioned, whether in a small situation like that or just in general where you're not sure you want to follow this guy anymore? The disciples were there. Peter was there. And God comes to rescue them in this story, just as he's coming to rescue many of us this morning in the story. So, so, what happens in this story? I already, I already read the story for you in verses 1 through 13. Let me retell the story to you. So, Jesus takes his three, his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, he takes them to the mountain with him to pray. And I'm filling in this story with Mark and Luke. You look at Mark chapter 9, the beginning, and Luke chapter 9 as well. So, Jesus takes his disciples up there with him to pray. Jesus prays and is transformed in front of them, transfigured in front of them, as he talks with Moses and Elijah. His face starts to shine like the sun. His clothes become lightning white and bright. And his form changes. The word transfigure is just the same word form or metamorphosize. Do you want me to change mics? Can you move it to your left? Sure. Moving it to the left side. See if that works. Happy to change mics. Just give me the word. Okay, so his, his, his very form is transformed at this time. He's talking to Elijah and Moses about his departure, his exodus, it says in Luke 9. And while he's doing that, what do Peter, James, and John do? What are they famous for doing when Jesus goes away to pray? What do they do? Sleep. And that's what Luke tells us, that they're sleeping. And not only says they're sleeping, they're in a deep sleep. The kinds you get into when we're doing the pastoral prayer here for 12 minutes, right? He gets into a really deep sleep. And so Peter wakes up, kind of groggy, checks his eyes, takes the muta. What's, the, what's muta in, um, I don't know. How, eye boogers. Takes the eye boogers out of his eye, Right? Uh, and, and looks, is that, am I seeing, so uh, there's a bright shining face like the sun, there's Jesus, there's Elijah, and there's uh, Moses, and they're about to leave, it says in Luke. So they're about to leave, and as they're leaving, Peter, just amazed, he sees Moses and Elijah. These are the superstars, right? These are the top two Avengers. This is Iron Man and Captain America, right? These are, if you know Israel, Israelite history, these are the top two historical figures in Israel. Moses and Elijah. And there they are with Jesus. And they're about to leave. And Peter just woke up. So Peter's like, uh, uh, hey, it's good for us to be here, <laughs> Jesus. Guys, it's good to be here. Lord, um, before you guys go, uh, can, can I make three? Lord Jesus, can I make three shelters? One for you and one for Elijah and one for Moses? And it says in Mark and Luke, he said that because he didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> I love that. He's just talking. He's stalling. He's he's in a moment that he just almost lost because he just woke up and they're about to leave. And he's trying to stay in the moment. Quickly, before Peter can even finish his sentence, the Shekinah glory cloud of God covers them. So here's Jesus, face shining like the sun, bright and blinding, clothes lightning white. Changed form. We don't know what his, the form of his body was, but it was a trans, it was a different form, transformed body. Here he is, shining like the sun, Elijah, Moses also shining in glory, not the same glory as Jesus, but also shining in glory. They're about to head out. And all of a sudden, the Shekinah glory of God, the glory cloud. And if you're an Israelite, you know three things you know Moses, you know Elijah, and you know the glory cloud. Everybody knows the glory cloud because that's where God shows up in different places. So here's the glory cloud, it covers them. And while Peter is still making his building project suggestion of building three tabernacles, in the middle of a sentence, God cuts him off with a cloud and says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Shut up, Peter, is essentially what he's saying. He doesn't say it that way, but he cuts him off and, and stops his words. Well, Peter is freaked out. James is freaked out. John is freaked out. They, they fall down with the Shekinah glory of God, with shining face Jesus over there, right? With, with, with them in the distance, then they fall on their faces in the ground, and they basically brace themselves and close their eyes, thinking, this is, I'm going to die. This is the glory of God right here. God has just shown up. They fall down, close their eyes, and cringe and brace themselves. And as they do, Jesus walks up to them. He puts his hand on them, and he says, get up. Don't be scared. They loosen their body a little bit. They open their eyes, peel their eyes open, and look up. There's Jesus. They see his face, the face that they've known, not the shining face, as bright as the sun. No lightning clothes, no Elijah, no Moses, just Jesus. Get up. Don't be afraid. Let's go. They stand up, they start making their way down the mountain. On their way down the mountain, Jesus says, Hey, by the way, and, and you, you can imagine James, Peter, and John, like, what did we just, That was Elijah. We just saw Moses. They're on their way now. I don't know how they knew it was Elijah and Moses. Maybe they had, I don't know if they had name tags or you know, um, <laughs> they don't have portraits, right? So, how do you know what they look like somehow? um he knew that that it was him i don't know how that's a good question that that you've been asking as i've been reading the bible with you this week i don't know the answer to that how he knew but they're walking down and they're like man that was we just saw elijah elijah the one prophesied to come we just saw moses and jesus says, did you see his face i couldn't even see his face it was just it was just lights just like the sun that was crazy and so they're talking about this on the way down jesus says hey by the way what you guys just saw don't tell anyone you're just like, don't, don't tell anyone? Are you like, the, the only thing I want to say to people is just what I just saw. That, that's the one thing I want to share with the other night when I get back. Yeah, that thing, don't tell anybody. Zip it until I rise from the dead. Rise from dead? What do you mean dead? you been talking about dying and dead. Your face just shone like the sun. You're with Moses and Elijah. What are you talking about dead? So then they ask Jesus. Talking about dying. Um, doesn't, doesn't isn't Elijah supposed to come before the before the rest before the restoration of all things? Isn't that what the teachers say? And Jesus says, Yes, Elijah is supposed to come before the restoration of all things. That that's true. But I'm telling you, Elijah already has come. They didn't recognize him though. So they beat him, they arrested him, they did, they did whatever they wanted to him. But he is the Elijah to come. And then they understood that he was talking about john the baptist so there's a story of what happens god meets them now remember this story that we just read and i just retold is the story in the middle of their discouragement and disillusionment jesus is talking about dying he's talking about all of his followers dying for him and that was not their vision of the messiah and so they're discouraged and disillusioned, and now they, won't, they might even be thinking about quitting. Maybe they didn't, but maybe at least some thoughts of quitting are in their head. They're discouraged, and Jesus says, Jesus, God gives them this vision for the three, not the nine, even though all of them are discouraged, for these three to hold them down and say, hold on, wait till I rise from the dead. You don't get it yet. You're going to get it eventually. Just keep following me. So God gives this to them as a gift in their discouragement and disillusionment to sustain them until the mission is complete. And so here's the main goal of this passage, I think. The main goal of the sermon. In the face of your challenges, keep walking with Jesus. In the face of your challenges. I don't know what challenges you're facing this week, today, this season of your life. But in the face of the things that are hindering you and blocking you from following Jesus, continue to walk with Jesus. Even in the face of death or whatever else you're facing. Keep walking with Jesus. Now, how? How shall we keep walking with Jesus when these challenges seem insurmountable? Two things. Listen to Jesus and communicate Jesus. Listen to Jesus and communicate Jesus. Verses 1 through 8, listen to Jesus. You want to keep walking with Jesus in the face of challenges? Listen to him. And that's going to take up the majority of the sermon. Last part of the sermon, second point, smaller point, communicate Jesus. And that's verses nine through 13, all right? So let's look at these one at a time. Listen to Jesus and then communicate Jesus. Now, this is God seeking to encourage them to find their way when they're confused and losing their way, right? When they're thinking about abandoning this path that Jesus is calling them to. So I, I Googled, what, how do you find your way when you're lost in life? And I found a life coach Who gave 13 steps on how to find your way you ready for the 13 steps here it is life coach all right first let me read her introduction life is a journey and the path is not always clear that's true for peter james and john each moment blooms with wonder and possibility but you need to know where to look the first thing to remember is that you will not find your way by scanning the distant horizon of the future you need to start walking Set out along your way, step by step, and keep your eyes peeled for the opportunities that appear. Try to identify your passions and try to spend more of your time on things that feel meaningful. Now, let me just say, as I'm going to give you the 13 steps now that she lays out here, that they're not all bad in and of themselves. As a Christian, you can find a way to do this and use it as a Christian. But um, I, I say that as, just as a caveat, caveat in case you're tempted to just full self-righteousness and, and just brushing away everything as if she's not made in God's image or has no common grace. Okay, 13 steps to find your way. Number one, so, on, on, uh, so she has three sections. Number one, getting started. First five steps to get started. Know yourself. Okay, so know yourself. Secondly, put yourself in motion. She has a whole paragraph on each. I'm not going to read all that. Put yourself in motion. Start moving. Number three, try something. Number four, start simple. Next, don't make excuses. That's how you get started, okay? Know yourself and start, start, get moving. Try something, don't make excuses, just go do something, simple. Part two, find your passion. Okay, now how are you gonna find your passion? Here's uh, five more steps under finding your passion. Follow a spark. Anything sparking in your life, anything grabbing your attention, follow the spark, Second, uh, next, accept yourself. Next, choose between the one and the many. Are you going to focus on the one thing that the spark is giving in your life? Or are you going to do two or three? If you're going to do two or three, you've got to be careful and make sure you did it. It's really hard to do two or three, but you can do it if you want to. you just got to make your choice. Do you want to do the one or the many? But know that before you go on your path and find your way. Next, stick with what fulfills you. And lastly, ask yourself what kind of person you want to be that's how you find your passion. And then the last three steps to refine your purpose as you've now found your passion, presumably question your beliefs, be aware of your influences and be patient. There it is. I just gave you the, the, the formula to find your way. Okay. So get started, find your passion and then refine your purpose along the way. That's the, that's I, that's, that's part of, I mean, this is, I think, as decent as, of world advice as, as you might get. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I have a question for you. Who are you listening to? Who is the light or what is the light that guides your path? And does it have more authority than God? Now, we're Christians here that you've gathered with. Thank you for being here. We Christians follow the Bible and Jesus as our guiding light and path. And you might say, well, I don't know if I should follow Jesus because um, I don't know if I believe in him. I don't know if he's a reliable guide. Okay. I don't know if the Bible's a reliable guide. And we've talked about that in the past and we'll talk about that regularly here. You could ask that question at the door after. But here's what I want you to think about if you're not a Christian. I want you to realize that you have a guiding light or guiding lights. And I want you to think about why why do you have or why do you keep those guiding lights as your guiding lights right now in your life? Are they really trustworthy? Does it really work? Why do they have so much authority in your life? Answer those questions for yourself. So identify your guiding lights and ask whether they really are worthy of your allegiance. All right, now back to the text and applying the text now, specifically or primarily to Christians. So here in verses one through eight, we have the main command and the main command is in verse five. And I really think this could be the main command of Matthew 1, one to Matthew 27, verse 15. It's so really 28, 15, almost the whole book. This, this could be the one command of the whole book. Okay, here's the main command. It's in verse five. And what's the command? He says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And what's the command? Listen. listen to him. So here it is. Listen to Jesus. The command is clear. And I want to give you from this passage, not in textual order, five overlapping reasons on why you should and why you must listen to Jesus. Okay? You ready to listen to Jesus? Five reasons why you should listen to Jesus from this text. Number one, in verse two, five reasons. First reason in verse two, he was transformed or transfigured in front of them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. So Jesus' face is shining. His form has transformed from a fallen human being, a broken and fallen human being with back aches and different things that are decaying to some other form, okay? And white clothes... And a face shining. How would you summarize all of that? That's all pointing to what about Jesus? His what? Divinity. Divinity what's another word? Glory. glory. Okay, and I think those are both true, but let's, let's go with glory. So the first reason why you should listen to Jesus is because of Jesus' glory. Because he is glorious. So because of his glory. Jesus' glory. Now, like Moses, Jesus' face shone like the sun. Do you guys remember the story of Moses with his face shining? What did Moses have to do? He had to put a veil over his, his, his face, right? Now, why did, now, did Moses' face shine forever? Why did Moses' face shine? Like, when would it shine? What would he have to do to get it to shine? How, how would he turn on the, the light in his face? Be in the presence of God, right? He'd have to go up the mountain into the tent of presence, and then he'd be face to face with God, in God's Shekinah glory. And in that, when Moses would leave the tent of meeting, his face would shine. So Moses was more like the moon, That reflects the glory of the sun. Jesus here is not reflecting anyone's glory. This glory is coming from his face. He's not the moon here. He's the sun. He is the source of the shine. He is the source of the brightness. He's the source of the light. He is glorious in and of himself. Not as a reflection of the glorious one, but as the glorious one. And so someone said Jesus is divinity, which I think is a valid point, and we'll, we'll keep building that as we con- continue on. Now, the description here, unlike so he's different than Moses in the, face, in the fact that his face is shining like the sun on his own uh, merit, but also in, in Daniel 7, 9 through 10, it talks about God, the Ancient of Days, shining bright with white clothes in brightness, like lightning. And, and that is the same description here of Jesus. So it's almost a comparison of Jesus to the Ancient of Days. Now, the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7 is going to give the kingdom to the Son of Man. But the ancient of days has a description that's very close to Jesus right here. And what's the point here? With, with Moses and Elijah here, um, these two are pointing to Jesus in His glory. So so, um, let's, so that's the first reason is that Jesus is glorious. The second reason why you should listen to Jesus in your life, as your guiding light, as your solo, only guiding light, is because of verse five, while Peter is speaking, Suddenly, a bright cloud covered them, and the voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Uh, Peter is interrupted by who? God. So the second reason why you must listen to Jesus is because of God's authority. Because God has authority, and God comes, and when God presses his authority on you, you should submit to that authority. Because God is God, and you're not. And so what does God do here in this passage, what God does in our lives? God overwhelms them. He covers them. And that's what God does in our lives, doesn't he? God interrupts your life. He overwhelms you. That's what he did. This, this glory cloud is, not, again, it's not the first time. Do you remember the glory cloud when they built the tabernacle in Exodus 40? As soon as they finished the tabernacle, the glory cloud, the Shekinah glory of God, filled the tabernacle. And they, were, they stood in awe of the glory of God in the tabernacle, the tent. Then when Solomon built the temple, you guys remember Solomon built the temple, 1 Kings 8, he does the prayer of dedication, red, uh, the red ribbon cutting open of the building. They're gonna do that. And as soon as he's praying, before they cut the red ribbon, God doesn't wait for the, for the ribbon to get cut. God's glory, his glory cloud, rushes into the temple. They're still putting in the final, the final decorations. And as they're still hanging up the final decorations, the glory cloud just rushes in and the people run out scared and freaking out. The, 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 the priests and Levites just run out of the temple because God's presence, his glory, filled the temple. And they freak out. So there's part worship, but there's also a lot of fear and terror. And so God overwhelms us with his glory. You, you see this in Exodus 20 as well. When, when, the, when, when the cloud of smoke covered Mount Sinai, and they were given the Ten Commandments, and they were terrified That God was speaking to Moses and all the Israelites at the bottom of the mountain. Moses was not at the top of the mountain. Moses at the bottom of the mountain with the Israelites are hearing God speak from this cloudy mountain. They're hearing the Ten Commandments preached to all of them, declared to all of them. And in that, they freak out and they get terrified. Eventually, they say to Moses, Moses, we don't want him to talk to us. You go up there and you talk to him and you bring it down to us, but we don't want to talk to him because he's gonna kill us. We're gonna die. He's holy. He's overwhelming. And so God's authority overwhelms us. God's authority here in Peter's life and in our lives, God's authority interrupts us. Peter mid-sentence is interrupted by God. Do you remember a time in your life where you've been interrupted by God? With a trial in your life? A situation? A A cup of cold water splashed in your face? Or you just run into this invisible wall. You thought you were just walking straight and you run into an invisible wall. And that's God interrupting you, stopping you, overwhelming you, humbling you. So God does that here to Peter and then he rebukes Peter. He rebukes and corrects Peter and he rebukes and corrects us. And then he commands us to listen to Jesus. So the second reason why you should listen to Jesus is because God's authority. Jesus' glory, God's authority. Third reason to listen to Jesus is from verse eight. We'll call this Jesus supremacy. Jesus supremacy. So there's two ways you see the supremacy. One is in verses four and five, where he says, "We want to build shelter for who? One for you, Jesus, and one for Elijah, and one for you guys awake. One for okay, let's do it over. One for Jesus, and one for Elijah, Elijah and one for Moses. Moses. Okay, so three. So in that middle, in the middle of that, um, um, God interrupts and says. Don't listen to all of them. Listen to who? Listen to my son. Listen to Jesus. And so God puts Jesus above, or um, God puts, not Jesus above, but uh, I mean, God puts Jesus above Moses and Elijah. And you get the same thing in verse eight, the supremacy of Jesus. When it's all said and done and they're, they're done curling up and they open their eyes, they don't see Moses and Elijah encouraging them. Who's there? Verse eight, Jesus, right? When they looked up, they saw no one except who? Jesus alone. And so Jesus is supreme over Moses and Elijah. Now, Moses and Elijah both pointed to Jesus. Let's just think about Moses and Elijah for a little bit before I tell you how they pointed to Jesus. They both prefigured the Messiah, and I'll tell you about that in a second. Moses and Elijah both saw God's glory revealed tangibly, okay, the the glory of God. They both suffered for following God. They both had strange endings. Do you remember Moses' strange ending? Well, let's go with Elijah's. His is more more famous and more memorable. What was, well, how did Elijah's, what was the end of Elijah's life? Somebody just shout it out. The chariot, the chariot of fire and Elijah did not. He didn't die. He was caught up in a chariot of fire and, and whisked away into heaven, right? Actually, it says he was caught beside the chariot of fire, which I always find kind of weird when you read it. Like the chariot of fire, it picks him up and he's like hanging on the side of the chariot. That's the way, I picture, that's the way it's written, that he wasn't in the chariot. He's not beside the chariot as it's being caught up. Okay, anyway, so that, that's Elijah's life, right? Now, Moses, what was the strangest about Moses' ending? Where did he die? Outside the, Outside the promised land. And what was different about his death, though? Do you guys, anyone here remember? Say it out loud. I can't, you guys are mumbling. Be, be more confident in your wrong answer. Wait, someone said over here, what? God buried him. God buried Moses. When Moses died on the mountain, there were no other humans there, and God himself buried Moses. So they both have these strange endings, just kind of Bible Bible trivia, Bible knowledge for you there, okay? They both had strange endings, and they both had transitions with the covenant, with the Israelic covenant. Moses is the one who's beginning to give the Israelic covenant, the covenant with Israel, the old covenant with Israel. He gives it to Israel, and then Elijah is calling Israel back because they're they're giving into idolatry, right? And because they're giving into idolatry, Elijah is the one saying, whoa, he's trying to be the one to interrupt Israel. He tries to stand in front of the whole nation and say, stop, we will not worship Baal. And then, you know, the big showdown on Mount Carmel with the 450 prophets of Baal versus Elijah. But but Elijah's role is to call Israel back to that Israelite covenant that Moses gave. So these are two very significant figures in the history of Israel, and they both point to Jesus in the future. How do they both point to Jesus? Let's go with Elijah first. Just, uh, uh, yeah, let's go with Elijah first. So go to Malachi 4 5. You're in Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament. If you go back to the last book of the Old Testament, so just go back to Matthew 1 and then flip one more page from Matthew 1 to Malachi chapter 4. In Malachi chapter 4, I want you to see, these are the last words of divine revelation that are written before the Old Testament ends. 400 years before Jesus. And here are the last written words to God's people. Malachi 4 verse 4. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant. So there's a call back to Moses. So remember Moses' instruction. Listen to Moses. The statutes and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Look, I'm going to send you. So here's the prophecy. Look, Israel, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah. Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. That's what he's going to do. So the last promise of the written scripture to Israel was, Elijah is coming. Taken away in a chariot, beside a chariot, he's going to be coming back to turn the hearts of the people. So Israel is waiting for Elijah to come. And now they see Elijah talking to Jesus. So Elijah pointing to the end. And to prepare the way for the Messiah. That's that's Malachi 3.1. I'm going to send my messenger ahead of you. And he'll clear the way before me. Malachi 3.1. So that's, Elijah's been prophesied, pointing to to the future kingdom to come. And then Moses, go to Deuteronomy 18. We read this for our scripture reading. Pastor John, St. John, Bishop John Lee read um, Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18 verse 18 says, God says to Moses, Moses says to Israel, I will raise up for Israel a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. That's what it says. Look at verse 15. The Lord your God. So in verses 13 and 14, uh, Moses saying, don't listen to, to false prophets. Don't listen to false teachers. Don't listen to the superstitious teachers, the diviners, and the fortune tellers. God does not permit you to listen to these things. God will speak to you. He'll give you his messenger. You don't, listen, you don't need to listen to all these other people. Listen to God's messenger. And then verse 15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own brothers. There it is. Moses was a prophet, the greatest prophet in Israel, the one who brings the Israelic covenant. And there will be a prophet on Moses' level, like Moses. Elijah may be the greatest prophet after Moses. So these are the two greatest prophets, mouthpieces for God, Right? And this one is so great, he's on the same level as Moses. And so verse 15 says, Deuteronomy 18, 15, what's the command? If he's like Moses, what, what must you do, Israel? You must what? Listen to him. The same command, right? You must listen to him. Listen to him. So, so at least in Deuteronomy 18, Jesus is on the same level as Moses. But when we're reading, go back to Matthew 17. Jesus is not just on the same level as Moses. He's like Moses. He's going to bring God's word, and you must listen. But he's greater than Moses. His face shines like the sun. When 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 they fade away, who's the one left standing with Peter, James, and John? It's Jesus. He's not just pointed to by Moses and Elijah. He's greater than Moses and Elijah. Jesus is pointed to, pointed to by the law and the prophets. Moses representing the law. Elijah, the greatest prophet. Remember, um, um, you know standing in for representing the prophets so jesus is pointed to by the law and the prophets jesus fulfills the law and the prophets he's greater than the law and the prophets jesus stands alone as god's supreme revelation jesus is greater than the bible jesus is supreme is god's supreme revelation i think john piper wrote jesus is greater than the bible but anytime you use jesus to diminish the bible you lose jesus So the Bible is still God's authoritative, inerrant word, but it's meant to point you to Jesus. It's an inerrant map getting you to the destination, but it's not the destination. It's a map. It's the most authoritative map we have. But Jesus is the greatest. He stands alone as the supreme revelation of God. Listen to him because he's supreme. Okay, so listen to Jesus because of his glory. Listen to Jesus because of God's authority. Listen to Jesus because of his supremacy. Fourthly, listen to Jesus because of his pity. Because of his pity. Verse seven. Jesus came up, they're freaking out, they're curled up, eyes closed, cringing together, muscles tense, and Jesus comes up to them. There's only two times in Matthew, Jesus comes up to the disciples. Here in Matthew 28, when they come up, when he comes up in his resurrection and they worship him on the mountain. Jesus comes up to the disciples, touches them, and then encourages them, get up, don't be afraid. I love this. Jesus cares. Jesus cares about scared sinners. He cares about those who feel condemned and unworthy before a holy God in his full blazing Shekinah glory. He cares about sinners who are just rebuked and interrupted by God. He cares about sinners who hit a wall because they can't break through their own sin that holds them in bondage. Jesus has pity on you. He comes to you. He touches you. He encourages you. He says, Get up. Don't be scared. I'm here. Now, this could be another command. We could say, Well, PJ, there's three commands listen to him tell about him and then get up and don't fear. But I think this getting up and don't fear is a reason why you should listen to him. Jesus stands alone as your sole comforter and encourager. I want you to get this. Jesus is your only encourager. He's your only comforter. Say, PJ, that's not true. I'm here as a member of this church and I get encouraged and comforted by by a lot of other members here. Is that true or false? Do you get encouraged by other members in this church? Yes or no? Yes. Yes, but I'm telling you, Jesus is your only encourager. Why am I saying that? Because any true encouragement you're getting from them is only whose encouragement. It's only Jesus' encouragement. There's no encouragement I have for you apart from Jesus. But PJ, even non-Christians can encourage me sometimes. True. But whose image are they made in? God's image. And whose common grace are they using? God's. And who gets the credit for that? Jesus does, right? So if you're encouraged by them, guess who's encouraging you? Jesus. All the encouragement in your life, Christian, or non-Christian, it's always only come from who? Jesus. Without Jesus, there's no encouragement. There's only damnation, condemnation all the time, every minute, no, no moment of common grace. It's only because of Jesus. Jesus does encourage us through others, and that's one reason why we gather. But at the end of the day, in our discouragement, we need Jesus to come to us. We need Jesus to touch us. We need Jesus to encourage us. We need Jesus to tell us to get up. We need Jesus to tell us to not be afraid. We need Jesus to tell us to take courage and not fear. Listen to Jesus because he alone is the compassionate, caring, pitying encourager. If you're not a Christian, thank you for being here this morning. Jesus can encourage you even where you are. You're saying, but I'm not a Christian. How can he encourage me? Well, the way he encourages Christians Because just like you, non-Christian friend, you're amidst a bunch of Christians who are sinners. We are all sinners before God, and we've all rebelled against God. And so we all tremble, and we all deserve God's judgment, his condemnation, and his damnation. We're all damned before Jesus because of our sin, before God. We all ought to cringe and close our eyes and brace ourselves for the wrath of God coming down on us because of our sins in the light of his holiness. You don't have to be a non-Christian to deserve God's wrath. You just have to be a sinner. Christians deserve God's wrath too. But here's the good news. God sent Jesus, his son, to live the life you should have lived, to die on the cross for your sins. And he rose from the dead so that if you repent from your sins and trust in him, he'll forgive you of your sins, give you his Holy Spirit, live in you, and give you the power to listen to him and be encouraged by him, and follow him forever. That's God's offer to you this morning. So if you're not a Christian, you came here, and God in heaven brought you here today to hear this offer and this command. Come to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Repent from your sins. Drop your other lights and authorities and guides in your life, and listen to Jesus. He'll forgive you and change you if you'll come to him. And if you don't come to him, it's you who's not coming, not him. Now, if you're discouraged, I'm talking about Jesus being an encourager here. Well, I'm a Christian, PJ, and I'm discouraged in my Christian life. I'm having a really hard time in my Christian life. I have these sins, and I just can't break out of them. I have this trial in my life. It will not go away. I know I'm supposed to listen to Jesus and praise him and, yes, yes, feel his encouragement. But I don't feel it. I don't feel the encouragement, PJ. I feel discouraged. I feel burdened. I feel overwhelmed. If that's you, here's my encouragement. I think I trust God's encouragement to you. Don't try to fix yourself. And don't try to fix your situation on your own. Don't come up with your plan of how you're going to get on with Jesus. Just stop. Stop. Stop talking. Stop planning. Stop strategizing. Stop worrying. Stop and listen to Jesus. Get up. Don't be afraid. He's here and he wants to guide you. He will guide you. But PJ, my problem is that I'm not listening to Jesus. Okay, then stop not listening to Jesus. And listen. Well, PJ, my my problem is I don't have faith to believe in Jesus. I'm not saying have faith in Jesus. I'm saying listen to Jesus. Because faith comes by listening. Right? Faith comes by listening. Listening to the word of Christ. I don't have the strength to believe. I don't have the faith. I I don't have the joy in my life. I'm not telling you to have joy in life. I'm not even telling you to have faith. Right now, I'm telling you to what? Listen. That's how simple it is. You don't even have to be the one speaking. You're actually not supposed to be the one speaking. That's how easy it is. Just open your ears and listen to Jesus. Don't be afraid. Don't be overwhelmed by discouragement. Jesus is coming. And Jesus coming, his coming, and his transfiguring is a manifestation that his kingdom has come and that he is here for his people. So look at Jesus and listen to Jesus. This is the first step. Even if you're not a Christian, this is your first step as a non-Christian, your first step with God, if you're gonna start walking with Jesus. If you're a Christian, this is still your first step. Listen to Jesus. That's the key. Praise God that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You don't have to have great faith. You just need to listen to Jesus. Okay. Last reason here on why you need to listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus... Because of verse 5, Jesus' identity. So not just because of Jesus' glory and God's authority and Jesus' supremacy and Jesus' pity, but lastly, because of Jesus' identity. Who is Jesus? Look at verse 5. God tells us who Jesus is. The cloud is there, and verse 5 says, this is my what? Beloved Beloved son. That's who he is. Okay, theology test. I gave you guys two weeks. God's son in the Bible when you see God's son in the Bible, not sons, I'm talking sons of God, like angels, God's son, singular son of God. When you hear that phrase, biblically speaking, what can that mean? Come on, BBC. You got it, please. The Messiah. The Messiah what else? True. true Israel. What else? Son of, David. son of David, which is also the Messiah, but yeah, son of David specifically, the anointed one, son of David, the Messiah, Davidic king. Okay. we got true Israel. Anything else? second person of the trinity god the son okay there's one more that you might not get <sighs> i didn't tell you guys this last time there's actually a fourth second adam. second adam yes adam is the son of god okay yes you guys good job everybody um okay yes so when you see son of god in the bible god the, the davidic king son of david true israel so israel's uh, god's firstborn son Um, second person in the Trinity, son of, um, uh, not son of Adam, Adam, the son of God. That's Luke chapter three. We're going to put that one to the side, even though there's a lot of good things to talk about with Jesus being the second Adam, put that to the side for today. Let's think about these three. So, so which one is it? What does God want us to understand when he says, this is my beloved son. So here you are reading Matthew 17, five. What does God want you to think when you see son of God in Matthew 17, five, not all of the Bible, but here. Okay. I think it's first of all, God's son, the Davidic King. We just learned from Matthew 16, you are the Messiah, the anointed one, the king, the Davidic king, the son of the living God. So you should first think God's son, the Davidic king, Yahweh's anointed one, the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And this is coming from Psalm 2:7. Whenever the Davidic king would take the throne, we sing a song if we were in Israel. And what is our song? Psalm 2. Everyone open your hymnal to Psalm 2. And so we open our hymnal to Psalm 2. And you sing Psalm 2 on the crowning of the Davidic king. And Psalm 2, 7 says, I will tell the decree. Yahweh said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Every time there's a Davidic king, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. In the coronation of the Davidic king, he's declared the son of God, the Messiah. So Jesus is the Davidic king. And he's greater than than David and all David's sons as the Davidic king. But it's not just Davidic king. Grace said, and she was right, the son of God is also referring to true Israel. Israel. Yes, true Israel. Now, um, it says, notice in verse 5, it says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So let's just take that beloved and well pleased together, okay? This is coming from Isaiah 42, verse 1. I I was thinking about having you guys turn to these, but for the sake of time, just listen, write it down. Isaiah 42, 1, it says this. Look, here is my servant. I hold him, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. So the servant of Yahweh in Isaiah, there's there's five servant songs in Isaiah, in Isaiah 40 to 66. And, and I, I, Isaiah's or Yahweh's servant is going to be the one in whom God is well-pleased and the one in whom God delights in. And so when God says that you are my son and you i am well-pleased, the well-pleased is not coming from Psalm 2-7. That's coming from Isaiah 42 verse 1. So Jesus is the suffering. He's the servant. Okay. Now, if you read Isaiah 44, just go two chapters later, Isaiah 44 verse 1, it says this. So if Jesus is the one fulfilling the Isaiah, Isianic prom- promises, Isaiah 44:1 one is confusing because it says this, and now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I've chosen. So in Isaiah 44:1, one, the servant of Yahweh, two chapters later, is not a person, a singular person. It's the nation of Israel. Okay. So if you're reading in Isaiah, you're like, okay, servant of Yahweh in whom God is well pleased. You go two chapters later, servant of Israel, nation of, or servant of Yahweh, nation of Israel. Good. I got it. It's easy. But then you get to Isaiah 49. And then it talks about the servant of Yahweh again. And says, you servant of Yahweh. And you're thinking, okay, yeah, I know Israel. You're going to redeem Israel. And you're like, what do you mean? I I thought you were Israel servant and you're not Israel. You're going to redeem and restore Israel and then be a light to the nations. How can you restore Israel if you are Israel? And so Isaiah kind of pops into two tracks of what the servant of Yahweh is. The people of God, Israel, and the servant who represents and redeems the people of God. Then you get to Isaiah 53, and it's the suffering servant who's going to die on the cross to save his people from their sins. Jesus is. But, okay, so is Jesus Israel or not? He's going to redeem Israel, got that. But is he he actually Israel? And the answer is yes. If you go to Matthew 2.15, we talked about this two weeks ago. It's talking about the nation of Israel in Hosea 11.1. 1. Jesus is in, in Egypt because Herod's killing babies, right? Jesus is being brought out of Egypt. And then Matthew says in Matthew 2.15, Jesus comes out of Egypt, and Matthew says, this is to fulfill what was prophesied in Hosea 11.1, which was not a predictive prophecy. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Son in Hosea 11.1 1 is Israel. Matthew's saying that's fulfilled in who? Jesus. So Jesus is true Israel. He represents Israel. He saves Israel, but he's only, he also is true Israel embodied in himself. I mean, we say this because Luke 9.31, remember Moses and Elijah, I gave you a clue from, from Luke. When Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus, they're talking about Jesus' what? Departure. His departure. And what's another word for that? His what? Exodus. 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 Who went through an exodus? Israel. Israel. And now who's about to go through an Exodus. Jesus, the true Israel. Jesus, the true Israel. And so Jesus, and and this is, I mean, we have more if we went to Daniel 7. John Lee told me you need to preach a sermon on Daniel 7 or go into Daniel 7. But Daniel 7 pushes, it mashes these together. The Ancient of Days is going to give the kingdom of God to the Son of Man, to a person, a Son of Man. Then it says the, the interpretation of that vision is he's going to give the kingdom to the holy ones, the saints. So is the kingdom going to a singular Son of Man or to the saints? And the answer is? Yes, because the Son of Man embodies the people of God. And they're only saints because they're united to who? The true Israel. You become true Israel if you're united to true Israel. Or as our memory verse today is, I am the vine and you are the branches. You, you unite to the vine. And the vine is called Israel in Isaiah 5, among other places. And so you become part of Israel, the true Israel, if you're united to Jesus, the true Israel. So, so, so Jesus is God the Son, the Davidic King. He's God the Son. True Israel, your only hope to be part of God's people is to unite to this true Israel Jesus, but he's also God the Son, not just the Son of God, but he's the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, and we remember this from Matthew twenty-eight nineteen at the very end of Matthew where he says, go therefore and disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son as if they're equal? Yes, because they are equal, because the Son is God. So it's not, now Peter didn't understand that here. When, when the cloud came and said, this is my beloved son, listen to him, Peter wasn't like, oh, second person of the Trinity, got it. No, he wasn't like that. But eventually he would get it, that he is God the son. Oh, so to summarize, why should you listen to Jesus? Because of his identity. Because who is Jesus? Jesus is the true Davidic king to bring the kingdom and the reign. Jesus is the true Israel, the people of God representing the people. And the only way that you can be, he becomes the head of the body. And if you can join yourself to the head of true Israel, you become the body of true Israel. Why should you listen to Jesus? Because he is not just truly man. He also is truly God. So listen to Jesus. We're not going to get to the second point. I still got a lot more here with theology. There's one more thing here in verse five. We'll apply apply this first point. We'll just be done. Verse five. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. I want to pick up on one word now. What 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 kind of son is this? This is my beloved. beloved son, which means that this son is what. He is loved by who? By the father. So okay, let's put our theology thinking caps one more time. The father loves the son. son. When did he start loving the son? He never started loving the son. Why? Because he's what? He's always loved the son from all eternity. Even before time began, he loved the son. The, now, so here's okay. The Father loves the Son. The Father is pleased with the Son. The Father delights in the Son. And the pleasure, now get this, the pleasure and love that God the Father has for God the Son is the source of the whole creation. And it's the source of the whole redemption project. Why Why do we exist? Why are you alive? Why is there a world today? Why is there creation? Why does God do this whole plan of redemption? Why? Because the Father loves the sun, that is the source of everything, everything big, macro, universe, every detail of your life is for this reason and comes from this fact, that the father loves the son. It motivates the goal and end of all creation. This points, this is the answer to the biggest why question that anyone can ask. Why anything? And I don't care, whatever you put under why. The final, ultimate, deepest answer for why. Why did God create? Why did God redeem the people he redeemed in the way he redeemed? Why, 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 why? Answer, the Father infinitely delights in the Son. I'm going to give you a full answer now. The Father infinitely delights in the Son, in the power and person of the Holy Spirit. And so, because the Father delights in the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and in the person of the Holy Spirit, And because of that, so he desires, this is where all of us come in in creation, and so he desires that the son's bride, his people, would eternally and increasingly delight in his son on the new earth to come. That's the why. Why? Why did God do all this? Because the father, infinitely loving the son in the person of the Holy Spirit, loves the son so much that he desires that, the son, that to create a bride for the son, to marry the son, the people of God, and that they would eternally and increasingly delight in that son and love that son the way the father loves that son on the new earth forever and ever and ever and ever. And it only gets better and better and better and better forever. Why? So this, that, that's why Father's doing it because He loves the Son, and that Son's name is Jesus, and you will name Him Jesus, Matthew 1:21, because He will save His people from their sins for this huge creation and new creation project. So this answer, let me give you practical now. This answer to the ultimate why question then becomes the practical answer to any why question, why question you face in your life. Any discouragement you have, any disillusionment, any difficulty, any temptation, any sin that you're facing in your life, I can answer the question. Now, I know it's not helpful just to give you this answer, but this is a true answer. Why is it happening? Because the father infinitely delights in the son and is preparing for himself a bride to increasingly enjoy the son in the new earth forever. So why do I have this back pain right now while I'm preaching? Why? It's because the father loves the son and he's making a bride for himself. And and I have sin in my life that just needs to come out. And I need to keep repenting and growing out of it. And I need to use that pain to encourage other people in whatever small ways it is in their life. It helps me appreciate certain members that I've been praying for, our elderly members. I'm thinking specifically of the two, our two oldest members who are married. And they'd sit in the back and they would always tell me every time I greet them, PJ, I am in pain every second of the day. I don't think i have no idea what's like i said that when i was 35 i'm 41 now and i know a little bit just from this past week but just a tiny bit i could appreciate what god is doing in preparing a bride for himself for all eternity a little bit more because of this pain that's the ultimate why 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 anything in your life the father loves the son is preparing a bride and you get to be part of it if you're a christian if you're not a christian you're invited to be part of it you're part of it either way if you're not a christian you're actually part of it by being the contrast in condemnation and hell forever so that we celebrate God's mercy in the new earth forever. In contrast to those damned. With the damnation we deserve. That's Romans 9. Okay. So to summarize. Why should we listen to Jesus? I'm going to summarize and apply. Then we're going to close in prayer. Why should we listen to Jesus? Because, Jesus, because of his glory. Because, of, because he, is ver, he, is glor, he is glorious. He is verified by God's authority. He is supreme over Elijah and Moses and all of God's revelation. He is compassionate and he pities you and he cares about you. And lastly, why should you listen to Jesus? Because he is God's son. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Children. Children, listen up. I have a word for you here as we close. Children, you don't have to understand everything I'm preaching. You don't have to under, understand everything you're reading in the Bible. I know some of you are reading the Bible regularly. Daily, some of you I know are reading the Bible regularly. You don't have to understand everything in the Bible, kids. You don't have to understand everything your, your parents teach you about Jesus. You don't have to understand everything your pastors or the pastors here teach you about Jesus. But you do have to understand that Jesus wants you to listen to Him, He wants you to listen to Him. Because he is God's son and the only savior of the world. So, kids, learn to read. If you don't know how to read, kids, learn how to read. I'm talking to the kids who don't know how to read yet. You don't know how to read yet? Ezra, do you know how to read? You do, okay, not you. Isaiah, do you know how to read? You got to learn how to read. All right? Learn how to read so that you can listen to Jesus. And when your parent, because sometimes you and you need to listen to Jesus when you're listening to your parents and listen to your pastors. But guess what? Sometimes kids, and you're gonna love this kids, especially the older kids. Sometimes your parents and pastors are wrong, right? Is that right, Isaiah? Sometimes Uncle sometimes Abba, Abba is wrong, right? And as you learn to listen to Jesus, as you learn to listen to Jesus, you learn how to respectfully disagree with your parents. Because you have to trust and follow Jesus over everyone, over Elijah, over Moses, over pastors, over parents, over everyone. Kids, listen to Jesus and always follow him. All right, church family, what about you? Church family, what does this mean for for Christians? It means that you need to focus your life on Jesus. Take your discouragements to Jesus, your disillusionment to Jesus. If I could just summarize Matthew, what does it mean to listen to Jesus? This is what Jesus tells you from the book of Matthew. He tells you to um, listen to who he is. He says he's the Messiah. Listen to what he said he's going to do. He's gonna die and rise from the dead. Listen to what he's calling you to do. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Listen to what he tells you to do when you're weary and heavy laden to come to him and find what? Rest. Listen to Jesus when he tells you to go, uh, to to take the bread and take the cup and do this in remembrance of him. Listen to Jesus when he says, go therefore and disciple all nations. And what are you going to be doing while you're discipling them? Baptizing them and what? Teaching them. Listen to Jesus. He has clear commands for you. Learn him. Love him. Follow him. Be part of his church family. Disciple people. Baptize people and teach them to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. Listen to Jesus. Church family, what does this mean for us as a church? As you do this together, you will influence one another. As you listen to Jesus, you're going to influence each other better in listening to Jesus. Listen together to the preaching of God's word. I preach long sermons. Listen to, amen. Thank you, brother. At least one. He's a pastor and he's not on staff, so he's not paid to do that. Praise God for non-staff pastors. Listen to Jesus together in the preaching of God's word Sunday morning and Sunday night. Christ is being preached and in a sense when God's word is truly preached, Christ's voice is truly heard. And God's sheep know, Christ's sheep know his voice. Are you listening to Jesus? And let me say one more thing. Brothers and sisters, church family, 117 members, when you attend regularly and you listen and you focus, you help other people focus. Remember how hard it was to listen on Zoom? to sermons? How much easier it is when you're sitting here and you feel like being distracted a little bit, but then everyone else around you is listening. You know why they're listening? Because of you. Because you're sitting here and you're listening. And last week, I was almost at the point where I broke my concentration because Peter was here with Leah and she was crying for 20 minutes. You guys remember that last week? Okay, good. You didn't remember it. I, was, I almost lost my concentration. I got to a breaking point. I almost broke from my sermon to say, Peter, can you please take Leah and just... <laughs> Go into the, fo- the hallway just for a few minutes and then just calm her down and come back. And right when I was, I almost broke and then Peter either went out or he, he calmed her down. But I was right there. But here's my point to you. Your attention helps other people pay attention where you didn't even notice it. And your attention helped me to keep going. Because if I did that, it would, make, it would move everyone's attention over there, right? But your focus helped me to focus in preaching, And we're all growing from hearing God's word together. So brothers, know that you have a ministry just by sitting here and singing and praying and listening without even saying a word to anyone after. I'm not saying you should leave and not talk to anyone, but I'm saying even if you did that, you have done a good job in edifying and building up the church in listening to Jesus. All right, so to close, you're facing challenges right now where you might have been disappointed. Judas and Peter both listened to Jesus. Judas and Peter both heard Jesus and followed Jesus. Judas and Peter both were disillusioned and discouraged by Jesus' path of of death and resurrection. One of them chose to not finally listen to Jesus, but listen to his heart. Money will make him happy. I'm out of this king dying business. I'm going to take a bag of money. He chose a bag of money while the other one chose Jesus and his kingdom. One chose to fulfill his life with money. One chose to fulfill his life with communicating Jesus to others. One chose to listen to his heart or listen to his financial needs. One chose to listen to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the command is simple and the reasons are clear. This is my beloved son, God says. Listen to him and keep listening to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We praise you that you have given us Jesus. You did not have to give Jesus. You did not have to overflow in your love for him to create this world to save us. You didn't have to save us. Those of us here who are Christian don't have to be Christian. You didn't need us. We needed you. We need you. And you come to us. You touch us. You encourage us. You reveal yourself to us again and again, and again. you give us a church family to do this together, so that we might finish well the, way, well the way our sister Jerry finished well. She would come here and listen again and again, and you sustained her faith all the way to the very end. And you call us to follow her path of listening to Jesus. We pray that you'd help us to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.